Podcasts and radio are a listener's medium, but it would be short-sighted and wrong to assume that everyone who enjoys what goes out on the radio and on the web has perfect hearing. One in six U.S. adults in 2014 reported some trouble hearing without a hearing aid, according to the CDC, and 30 million people ages 12 and older have hearing loss in both ears. Today on Radio Survivor, we talk deaf accessibility and the radio. You do have a lot of people who identify as deaf who have some form of hearing. This is Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. With me in a moment is my co-host, Paul Reismendel. And before we get to deaf accessibility and podcasting, I want to mention that uh, February 13th, 2018, is the commemoration of World Radio Day. That's the week you're listening to this podcast, this radio program. Uh, World Radio Day, a little bit about it. First proclaimed in 2011 by UNESCO to, quote, celebrate radio as a medium, to improve international cooperation between broadcasters, and to encourage major networks and community radio alike to promote access to information, freedom of expression, and gender equality over the airwaves, unquote. This year's theme in 2018 is radio and sports, with a particular focus on traditional sports, gender equality in sports broadcasting, and coverage of sports uh, on behalf or for peace and development initiatives. Uh, to learn more about World Radio Day, you can check out the show notes for this episode. This is episode number 129 on Radio Survivor. And so you go to radiosurvivor.com and, and look for the show notes for this episode. Also, I want to share with you a interview I did two years ago on the occasion of World Radio Day with the Secretary General of the World Association of Community Radio Broadcasters, also known by the French acronym AMARC, uh, which stands for the Artisans of Community Radio in French. Uh, I spoke with Francesco Diasio. The community radio movement is huge and very, very diverse. When we talk about community radios, you know, we have uh, campus radio stations, micro radio stations, sometimes religious radio stations, but also, you know, having a, a very, very uh, concrete impact with social actions on the population. You have, you know, uh, anarchist radio stations, militant radio stations, uh, information radio stations. So the first thing that we have to acknowledge is the huge diversity of the this sector. Uh, and it is a growing diversity because, of course, the uh, broadcasting or netcasting platforms are increasing. That's Francesco Diasio, the Secretary General of AMARC, talking to us about World Radio Day, which is celebrated every February 13th. Uh, you can hear that entire interview with Francesco Diasio on the Radio Survivor website for the show notes for this episode number 129. Well, without further ado, let's get into the interview for today. And we're joined on the line from Seattle by Mary Josephs. She is a podcaster. Her podcast is called Always Here. It's an LGBT history podcast. And uh, I got to meet Mary at PodCon in Seattle back in December of 2017 because she gave a wonderful presentation about deaf accessibility in podcasting. And I think it'd be wonderful to to learn more about this. I think it'd be wonderful for our listeners to learn more about this. So I invited Mary to be on the show with us. Thanks for joining us here on Radio Survivor, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
So, I mean, just to start, I think often when people think about podcasting, they, mm-hmm. they don't think about accessibility for people who have hearing impairments or who are are deaf because, you know, they think of it as, as fundamentally it's, it's an audio medium. And if people who have difficulty with an audio medium, why would they be interested? And, and mm-hmm. you, you would tell us, of course, you're a podcaster yourself, that mm-hmm. that would be an incorrect assumption. Tell us more about why um, folks who are deaf or may have hearing impairments are interested in podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there's, I think there's a lot of different reasons, honestly. I think it ties a lot into, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is the diversity aspect in that I think a lot of podcasts and I specifically thinking about audio dramas because there's not the same barriers in place that there are for things like books or movies or TV shows where, you know, if you want to have this produced or seen by a wider audience, it has to be approved by a producer or a book publisher who is often a straight white dude. Um, I think that podcasts often have a lot more diversity in their cast of characters because there's not that barrier of someone who maybe doesn't have those experiences and maybe thinks they're unrealistic who's able to say well no I don't like that so I'm going to say that you can't make it and I think that that appeals to a lot of people deaf people included there are a lot of deaf people who are also LGBT or people of color or disabled in other ways who don't get to see themselves represented in most media. And so in that, I think podcasting does have that appeal the same as it does for LGBT people of color, et cetera, et cetera, who aren't deaf. Uh, And I think it's also just, you know, podcasting has an incredible, incredible range of topics. There's murder mystery podcasts. There's podcasts about architecture. You know, there's comedy podcasts, anything you could name. And so I think it's just what reason do other people have for being into podcasts? There's so many of them. There's so many reasons to be into them. There's so many stories that are being told that you can't always get other places. And so I think it's just, I think it's an incredibly appealing medium for everyone. And I think that does include deaf people. I think exactly. You're pointing out the the same reasons why I think we love podcasting here at Radio Survivor and why so many people are into podcasting because of that, that low barrier to entry that allows Mm -hmm. so many different voices uh, to be expressed and to be heard and to be transmitted. And, and also I think something I learned from you is that, you know, when when we speak of deaf, there's actually a sort of a wide range of, of hearing ability within, within that category. Can can you explain a little bit more about that, how there might be folks uh, on a spectrum here who, who identify or within the deaf community? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that kind of the, I think that the notion of deafness that a lot of people have, and that actually I think I had for many years before realizing that I did have hearing loss, is that when you talk about hearing, it's broken up into these very neat categories of you have the hearing people, and then you have the deaf people who can hear 
absolutely nothing. The deaf people can hear absolutely nothing at 0% of hearing, if you will. And then the hearing people hearing at 100% hearing. And then the hard of hearing people falling somewhere in between there. But actually the definition that's used both medically in audiology and in the deaf community is that anyone with any substantial degree of hearing loss, so usually around 20 decibels of hearing loss or more, is considered deaf and is considered part of that community. So you do have a lot of people who identify as deaf who have some form of hearing. And so folks who have some form of hearing can consume a podcast Kind of as is, right? It, it is. Mm-hmm. Do I understand that correctly? That you know, so you identify uh, within the, as as a member of the deaf community. You are a podcaster. You are a, mm-hmm. a podcast consumer. What kind of challenges are there for you and and for folks who have uh, some residual hearing in terms of consuming podcasts? And and what can podcasters do to make their shows more accessible to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think so. For me personally. Um, where I am at is I'm around 40-ish decibels of hearing loss. So that puts me into the, I believe, the moderately deaf category. It's categorized based on how many decibels of hearing loss you have. So I I, I can, obviously, I'm talking to you right now. I, I have hearing, I can hear. Um, but it is... It is harder for me. I think when I'm list- when I personally am listening to podcasts, I I can listen to them, but I often have to backtrack a little or you know replay some parts a couple of times. Uh, I I'll sometimes listen to episodes of a podcast with my friends or with my fiance, and have to you know pause every couple of minutes to be like, wait, hey, now can you like write down what just got said for me mm. because I I did not understand that um so for me i think it's more of a nuisance i guess than anything just having to i guess work a little harder than most people to understand what's being said but mostly it's not a huge issue unless you get into things where maybe someone is talking really quietly or you have a couple of people talking over each other all at once or maybe the music is unbalanced so it's higher it's a higher volume than the speakers um but for people who have less residual hearing than i do it gets more into a challenge of just they can't listen to it at all and the only way that they are able to experience podcast is through transcriptions so i think if you know going back to what you said about how can podcasters make their podcast more accessible i think the biggest thing is transcriptions if whenever that's possible they are transcriptions can be hard to do yourself especially if you're not experienced with them but they are also i think the best way to ensure that your podcast is accessible to everyone so let's uh, kind of take this in two parts then um at first i'd like to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about how podcasters can produce their show and i think this goes equally well for people who do radio um mm-hmm. you know uh, do you do you listen much to to sort of live fm radio or are you principally a podcast consumer well, yeah, you know, I, I don't listen to it as much 
anymore. I mostly listen to podcasts these days. But when I was in high school, my stepfather was a big fan of you know, NPR, All Things Considered, and we would listen to that a lot while we were in the car together. So I do. I, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I don't listen to it as much now. Okay. Yeah. And I think a lot of this can go as well for radio producers. But, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about what you can do to make a podcast more accessible to people who have residual hearing, but but some some hearing loss. And you mentioned a couple of things that maybe we could drill down on a bit. You know, you said in sort of in passing, you know, sometimes the music is too loud. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people talk over each other. So maybe talk a little bit about how somebody who who creates sort of maybe more of your kind of standard, a couple people talking kind of podcast. What can right. they do to make this show more accessible to more people? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of it actually comes down to what I would consider just kind of good general audio editing practices for podcasts, you know, making sure that you have the sound balanced, making sure that everyone is clearly audible throughout the entire podcast, that kind of thing. Um, And outside of that, I would, when possible, I would try to avoid having instances where multiple people are kind of talking over each other. I know that that happens a lot in conversational podcasts because that's just what happens in conversations. And I think it happens, especially at least from what I've noticed in comedy podcasts, where it's usually very fast paced, very quip, quip, quip back and forth. But I think in those instances where some crosstalk is maybe unavoidable, a good practice to get into maybe if you know, if you're stating any important information during that and it gets spoken over, maybe take a moment after that to restate it more clearly mm. when you don't have anyone talking over you. Um, particularly if it's, you know, important information, like if you're trying to talk about maybe you're giving the URL for your website or you're saying, oh, hey, heads up, we're not going to be releasing an episode next week, you know, that kind of thing where it it's important for people to be able to hear that. Um, I also, I, I am a big fan of people who go and make sure that all of their audio is more or less around the same volume throughout the entire throughout the entire Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, For me, I, when I do listen, I have to have the volume of whatever device I'm listening on turned all the way up. So if I'm listening like that and then suddenly there's a spike in volume, it is incredibly, incredibly jarring. Right. Um, And it could be painful even, I think, for some people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially since... um, so one one way that I do sometimes listen to podcasts is I have hearing aids and my hearing aids actually they have Bluetooth capabilities, which I think is awesome. And I did not even know that was a thing before I you know, saw an audiologist and got the hearing aids. But they my my hearing aids have Bluetooth capabilities and I can actually hook them up to my you know, my iPhone or whatever and stream podcast or music directly through my hearing aids and because of the nature of hearing aids where you know it's not just 
like earbuds or external headphones, there is a very, very small receiver that is as far inside my ears it can go without causing me physical pain. So you can imagine it when there is a huge spike of volume with mm. that, it it is not pleasant at all. Right. And you can't just take it off like you can an earbud or a headphone. Right. Yeah. No, not like all of a sudden. I think that these are some very interesting points, uh, you know, because these are points, you know, that, that make a podcast sound good to everyone yeah, while absolutely. at the same time make them very accessible. And, and I've, there've been arguments and I think they've settled down in the last few years in a podcasting community over the years where sometimes uh, there are arguments about sort of production quality where some <laughs> folks are basically like, well, don't get in my way. It's more important that we get things out and we were able to, to sort of release than than to worry about such things as production value as if that's sort of a, a bourgeois value or <laughs> sometimes, you know, that it's, it's overly professionalized or that you're, you know, you're right. being too much, um, worry too much about professionalism. And, and as somebody who used to work in educational uh, media and, and educational video, we would have the same arguments about uh, video quality sometimes often, mm-hmm. where where's of course a place where we would emphasize audio quality because that makes your, your productions more accessible. But I think what you're pointing out here is that we're at this point where, frankly, uh, the means to create high quality audio are really not so difficult to obtain any longer. I mean, even mm-hmm. with smartphones in many cases, but with regard to, you know, the availability of USB microphones and all sorts of equipment yeah. that's relatively inexpensive, uh, it's really more a matter of focus and time to yeah. some extent and practice to make your audio more accessible rather than it being somehow uh, this high threshold that you have to have thousands of dollars of studio equipment in order yeah. to accomplish. Right, absolutely. I mean, like my uh, my fiance and I are currently working on an audio drama, and he has the microphone he's recording with was like a twenty five dollar USB microphone that he got off of Amazon, and it sounds great. So it's it's definitely there's yeah there's not as much of a barrier as I think people think there is to having good clear audio in your podcast. You just have to look around a little and find the right tools, and they're they're there if you want to use them. So yeah, yeah. We're on the line with Miri Josephs here on Radio Survivor. We're talking about um, podcasting for the deaf, uh, deaf fans of podcasting, and uh, we might be going into the weeds a little bit, Miri. But I'm going to take a risk since you are a podcast producer. Um, what what tools would you recommend to other podcast producers? to um you know to for instance to adjust what i what i know is called loudness in your you know it's a bit of a technical term the the difference between <laughs> the quietest part of your podcast and the loudest part of your podcast um what tools are available to people to make sure that that they're being uh kind to those listeners who might end up being hurt by the spikes yeah, absolutely. Well, I think actually the first thing I want to mention, because I just discovered this recently and it has made my podcasting life so much easier. Um, the first thing that I recommend doing when you first set up your microphone is to go into the microphone settings on your computer. And there is a little checkbox in one of the settings and it says something like, you know, allow programs to take full control of your microphone, something like that. And you want to have that turned off because as I discovered, if you don't, then if you have programs like Skype or Discord running even in the background, they will actually mess with your audio as you're recording and they will make 
they'll increase your recording volume when you're being quieter and decrease it when you're being louder, which can lead to not great recording. And I've been having to fix an issue with that in a recent episode I recorded. But outside of that, I really recommend the program Audacity, which is a free audio editing program. And you can, it, it takes a little, I, I'd say it takes like a hot minute to figure out all of the controls and how to fix everything yeah. if it's not something you're used to, but it has a pretty low learning curve, I think. And there's a lot of really good tutorials online. And you can actually, if you have your file open in Audacity, you can go through and you can see the parts where your audio is getting louder and when it's getting quieter and you can select them and use the amplify option to just turn the volume of that specific part down and make it on level with the rest of the audio. Yeah. And I would say that it also, it all begins with, um, with good microphone hygiene in the first place, you know. Stick, oh yeah, use, absolutely. Use your microphone in a consistent way, mm-hmm. and uh, and if you're gonna yell or laugh, uh, back off a little bit, radio producers. You can <laughs> you can yes. yell or laugh uh, in an enjoyable way if you uh, you know give yourself some distance to your microphone. It sounds it's a it's a fast and easy way to to do it right. Yeah, and you know, if you, if you have guests who are un, not used to being on microphone, often just even that quick little tutorial, and sometimes it's okay to break and ask someone to to get up on the microphone yeah, if they're definitely. if they're doing a lot of getting back and forth. Now I'm demonstrating Stop it here, it. but uh, <laughs> uh, you know to ask them to please, you know, when you speak, get up on the mic, and often when you when you're not speaking, back off of the mic so that yeah. you're also not heavy breathing into it uh, yes. the entire time. Um, I think these are some great tips for kind of uh, keeping, you know, a podcast to be more consistent and therefore more accessible. Another method you you mentioned, Mary, for folks who might have very little residual hearing or who are entirely deaf Mm -hmm. is uh, providing transcripts. And this is something which I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the podcast world because um, podcasts, I think transcripts have a lot of value uh, across the board for a lot of different reasons um, in terms of being a record of what is said that is easily searchable through text. Yes. Uh, people use it for search engine optimization because it means mm-hmm. when people search things in Google, they're more likely to find your show. But as you alluded to, uh, they're still labor intensive, labor intensive yes, and difficult absolutely. to make. And I guess there are some genres of podcasts that might be easier to turn into transcripts than others. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier uh, podcasts that are, are dramatic might be easier. Uh, can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think definitely the podcasts that are going to have it easiest will be anything scripted, um, especially, you know, like scripted audio dramas where, having a transcript available as as easy as just going online and uploading the script that you wrote. Um, maybe going through and making notations about, you know, sounds or laughter, or if any of your actors improvised a line, maybe adding that in. Um, but that it's really as easy as just uploading it somewhere publicly accessible. When you have Something unscripted, though, like something like this podcast um, or like always here, it gets a little harder because there's no script. So you are into just straight transcription, which is very, very difficult. You know, I um, 
when I was preparing for the panel I did at PodCon, I wanted to have an example of good transcription versus bad transcription. Mm -hmm. So I actually went and I just transcribed the audio of a scene from one of the Star Wars movies so that I could show, you know, a good way to transcribe it and a bad way to transcribe it. Um, And it was like a two-ish minute scene, I think. It was the scene where, you know, Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his father. Uh, and it took me a good 10 minutes to get the transcripts to a place where I wanted to have it. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's not bad, Miri. Yeah. Say, that was fast. Yeah, you did well. Yeah. I, I um, One of my first jobs in radio, unpaid in fact, was oh. transcribing uh, work because it actually is also, um, it is one of the main tools of the radio documentarian that mm-hmm. you take you take raw interview tape and you transcribe it so that then a script can be more easily written and edited based on based on all of the footage you have and it's mm-hmm. it's hard work but like other kinds of hard work it is really rewarding if anybody out there is uh, concerned that it's no fun uh, i would recommend giving it a shot for more than a few days um, mm-hmm. cuz it does get easier and mm-hmm. there's something really unique about about putting in the time for this strange behavior of transcribing right. audio for radio that um, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. And if you're listening to yourself, you might uh, you might learn something about yourself and your own uh, techniques as a podcaster or radio broadcaster. If you're listening to other people, you might... Uh, there's just... There's, there's secrets to be uncovered. So that's not... It's not just a meaningless toil to create these transcripts and then of course in the end you also end up with this uh this product that has a lot of value uh to Mm -hmm. to more people than just you when you can publish this transcript on the internet oh yeah absolutely it's definitely it's very hard work for sure but it is also very rewarding um and i think if it's work that you just don't have the time or energy to put into, which I think is fair because, you know, as we've been discussing, it is very hard work. Yeah. It's so much time. Um, there are services where you can pay for people to transcribe your podcast for you. Usually the, I've looked into it a little bit from what I've seen. The rate is usually anywhere from 60 cents to $2 per minute, which is, you know, it's maybe not the best option for smaller podcasts or podcasts that are just starting up. But sure. if you're at a point where you're able to consistently make money off of your podcast through, you know, a Patreon or through advertising or what have you, I think it's definitely something that could yeah, be worth looking into. I'm concerned that the uh, that this mechanical Turk is not uh, earning a living wage. I want you to pay. Well, more if you're if you're paying that kind of rate, you're probably paying somebody who's earning a living wage. Okay, good. good. Yeah, I'm yeah. Always, I'm always worried about that. the the overseas English language worker right. toiling away mm-hmm. in the podcast. No, Mary, I think mines. you're talking about services of 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 professional transcribers uh, yes. who do this specifically for yeah. accessibility purposes. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. And there are also, I mean, I guess it, we should mention uh, here in the year 2018. Uh, if anyone is listening in the future, they might be giggling <laughs> to themselves because there is a moment, you know, it's not a generation away. It's only a matter of months away where all of this is going to be. Well, there are. So, so Miri, I mean, I think you're alluding to the fact that there are, uh, you know, there are automatic transcription services. Computers are learning fast. Right. That there are, yes. there are automated transcript services. And I think I've, 
worked a little bit in accessibility in a past life and educational media mm-hmm. and some of the services that provide less expensive transcription services. What they do is actually they pass it one way once through an automated transcript yeah. and then a human comes mm-hmm. in and cleans it up. Basically, because the computer is going to miss some things, going to get some words Mm -hmm. wrong, going to miss some grammatical points, and then they turn it into something much more human readable. Do you have any experience with these, Mary, at all? I personally, I do not have that much experience. Um, It's again, it's something I've looked into. Um, I, I, I have general experience with automatic transcriptions and automatic subtitles because I have been in a lot of situations where I, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it was a class that was showing a YouTube video or whatever I needed an accommodation in the form of transcripts or subtitles and the teacher, whoever was running, running the class, whoever was in charge of providing that accessibility said, oh, well, it's fine. There's just automatic subtitles. That's totally fine, Oof. right? Nope. <laughs> yeah, YouTube's automatic subtitles are an ugly, <sighs> ugly thing. And, that, and that's about the state of the art there. And and I, I, I actually, after uh, seeing your session at PodCon, where you uh, gave a wonderful talk about uh, deaf accessibility in podcasting, um, I went and I tried out a bunch of different services. There's a bunch now that are uh, ostensibly free, and who knows how long they'll be free, <laughs> where you can upload your podcast and it'll send you back a transcript of some sort. Because I wanted mm-hmm. to see, you know, what it would take for us to make a Radio Survivor more oh, accessible. Oh yeah, practice what you preach, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So I went and uh, I tried uh, about three different services mm-hmm. and I found that while it was certainly less time than doing the transcript myself, yeah. mm-hmm. it was still quite an arduous process yeah. to edit uh, the automated transcript. And in some cases I would look at it and I wouldn't have an idea in my head <laughs> what that sentence was. And I was there. It might have been me speaking. And I would look at it. And without sort of going back to that moment in the podcast and listening to it myself, I couldn't figure it out. And and so that and I and I imagine it's something which, as you sort of mentioned, Eric, if I if I were doing it every week, I would get into some sort of practice and I would sort of get to know my automated transcriber better and would know it's some of its foibles and be able to sort of intuit better what it's trying to do with, with the sound that it was fed, but, and, and, and it would take less time, but it would still probably add hours onto any given week's production cycle, even using these automated transcripts. And I could see how the automated transcript might be helpful for somebody who's, uh, hearing impaired to help them with the show, but I could also see how it may not be a real help. It may just, as you mentioned, Mary, seeing the YouTube automated uh, <laughs> subtitle may not be any greater help than than just uh, not having it at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think automatic transcription is a very interesting premise. I think it has a long way to go before it is something that can really be used on its own for accessibility. I'm just going to guess, though, that I think the day is sooner than we think because of all these smart mm-hmm. speakers. But we just don't know when I, it is. I think that the Google, the Apple, and the Amazon uh, brain trust slash a uh, huge slush fund of of uh, capital is going to solve this problem uh, really soon. And it's it would all be moot. But that's... um. That's like some kind of crazy futurist podcast. That's not what we do here at Radio Survivor. <laughs> we talk we talk about concrete we're, we're, realities. We are presentist. And, and yeah. we were talking with Miri Josephs. 
She is a podcaster from Seattle. Her podcast is always here. It's an LGBT history podcast. And, and she's also an expert on making podcasts accessible to people with hearing impairments, to people who are deaf. And so let's, let's now imagine that we're able to get a transcript, whether we're, tra- whether we're transcribing podcasts ourselves, we're using a service, or we've got a scripted podcast. It's a, it's a dramatic production, so we already are writing a script, or we're documentarists, so we've written a script, yeah. which we're using to mm-hmm. edit and, to, uh, and, and for our own uh, presentation. Some people mm-hmm. do podcasts uh, from their extremely from their detailedly written exactly. notes. What's yeah. the best practice then for adding this uh, transcript to our podcast? Uh, how do we put it online? What, where are the best places to put it there, Miri? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So there are a couple different ways to do it. I think one of my personal favorites actually is if you upload your podcast on YouTube, as I know some people do. Mm. So YouTube has an option if you go in to subtitle your video where you can just paste in your entire transcript and it will sync it will do its best job to sync it up for you. And then you just have to go in and kind of edit it and toy with it to make sure everything is synced up the way you want it to be, which can, I, I, I think that's great, especially for people who maybe have residual hearing and like to read Elon as they listen. Yeah. I think that can be really great. And for just uploading straight podcasts, I think you could upload it to your website. If like, if you have, you know, a website where you post all of the episodes and there's enough room in the body of that post to have the entire transcript. I think that's a great. There is a fan project that I am familiar with that does transcription, community transcription for the podcast, The Adventure Zone by the McElroys. And they host all of their transcripts on Google Docs Mm. and then have the links to all of those available. And that, to my understanding, has worked pretty well for them. And that also lets people have the ability to go in and edit the transcript if they maybe if they're listening and they catch that there's an error with the transcription or something like that like a um yeah which is also you know that is kind of a blessing and a curse because i know they've also had issues with people going in and just you know deleting entire episode transcripts pranks um yeah or deleting chunks or rewriting things in a way that is very obviously not what is actually being said. So I think there's a couple different ways that you can do it. And I think it all depends on what you have available, how you're posting your podcast and how you want that to be presented to people. You know, and I've heard a little bit in terms of best practice for posting a transcript that that maybe the if you're using, say, a blog software like a WordPress site, or even if you have sort of the automated website that comes with a host like Libsyn, that it's not necessarily best to put the transcript in the show notes because uh, mm-hmm. it, it makes the show notes kind of uh, too long. It makes it difficult for uh, podcast apps to deal with it. Mm. Um, that's, yes. And that it's better to put it onto its own website, its own blog, or it could be Google Doc, and to post that link into your show notes. That's something I've heard. I think that also works very well. I think just however, whatever you can find to get it out there and have it in an easy, accessible format. We're on the line with Miri Josephs here on Radio Survivor. Miri Josephs is a podcaster and a podcast fan 
and we're talking about Miri's um, expertise, uh, self self appointed expertise. Uh, you were the host <laughs> of um, a panel discussion, or no, you were a soloist at PodCon in Seattle that we attended in December on the topic of podcasting accessibility for the deaf and hard of hearing. And Miri, I want to use this opportunity to sort of transition to talking about your podcast, Always oh, yes. Here, which is an LGBT history podcast that you just started up uh, late last year. And I want to know a, a little bit about your show and how you produce it. And then I want you to tell me um, how you practice what you preach. How do you make your podcast uh, as as accessible as possible to people with uh deafness and hard of hearing issues. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my podcast is always here, an LGBT history podcast. I co-host it with my friend, Adrian. Um, let's see. It's been going since late November of 2017. So it's a, it's a new podcast um, compared to most other podcasts that have been running for yeah. a couple of years. Except it's as, uh, except every podcast is a new podcast at some point. That's true. <laughs> there's so many new ones every day. That's true. It's, it's definitely, it's a quickly growing medium, which is very exciting to see. But yeah, so it's, so the basic format of our podcast is just, um, it's just, you know, an informational two people talking every week. We have one person who is knowledgeable on the topic and one person who is not so that it becomes a little more of a oh, nice. conversation as opposed to just, you know, two people talking into a microphone about this thing that they both know about. Um, and we switch off every episode who is the research lead and who's doing the most talking. And we just kind of shine a spotlight on a person or an event from LGBT history that maybe isn't that well known about, or maybe people do like we had an episode about Oscar Wilde where maybe people recognize Oscar Wilde by name, but don't necessarily know his full story yeah, um, or think they do, but have misconceptions about it. Um, uh, so what, what should people know? Can you give me the, can you give me the uh, elevator speech capsule on Oscar Wilde? Why uh, he would be a topic for your podcast? I can. So Oscar Wilde was really interesting to me. I was the research lead for that episode and it was really interesting to me to research him and see this kind of gradual climb and then quick fall of this man who lived in, you know, 1800s England, who rose to fame by being very quick witted, very, he was known for being very funny and very, and a playwright. Yeah, he was a playwright. He was an author. Um, but he was actually what was interesting to me to discover was that at the time he was not actually known as much for his plays and more just known as sort of the social like Kardashian-esque figure who showed up to parties and insulted people, but in an extremely funny way that you wanted to, you know, go and tell all your friends, oh my gosh, Oscar Wilde just insulted me and it was hilarious. Let me tell you about it. Yeah, Oscar Wilde would have had <laughs> A really good podcast. And then Oscar, Oscar Wilde, have, I assume, yes. I, he's queer. <laughs> he is, yes. One reason why you're, you're talking about him on your podcast. Yes, absolutely. So he, he did have multiple male partners uh, ending with this young man 
whose father discovered the relationship and was very upset about it and actually stormed into or sent a a message to a club that Oscar Wilde frequented to be read aloud, calling Oscar Wilde gay to everybody in the club. Mm. Oscar Wilde sued him for libel. And then his defense in court was essentially, well, no, it's not libel because it's completely true. And then the court case turned around on Oscar Wilde and he ended up going to jail for a few years. Because uh, it was illegal at that time in Britain to be gay. Um, And which I, I was a little shocked to discover that the law that got Oscar Wilde thrown in jail was not actually repealed in Britain until the 1960s. Yeah. My goodness. Yes. So here's your episode on Oscar Wilde. Link in the show notes. Go to radiosurvivor.com. This is episode 129. And we'll have a link to the Always Here podcast episode. But tell us, so tell us what you, um, what happens next to make your podcast uh, more accessible. Absolutely. So we are, I think accessibility is definitely something we're still working on. We do not have transcripts up right now, but we are actively working on transcribing the episodes and getting caught up and getting those up. It is a little difficult. Like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, transcripting is, is hard because it's something that you are going to have to either put time or money into, which is something that both Adrian and I as you know college students right now we're not neither of us yeah. really have a surplus of either of that and but you described earlier in today's episode like a rule of thumb which to me is incredibly fast is it takes about five times the length of the audio mm-hmm. uh, so if you have an hour podcast you'll, it's going to take you five to six hours and yeah. that's i think you're a really fast typist if you can do it <laughs> thank that you fast. but but what about partial transcripts are they are they useful partial transcripts you mean like just the first 10 minutes the first 10 hmm. is it worth it to post your is it is it worth it to post half your work or or yeah or 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 to to select elements i suspect you know sort of uh, Hmm. maybe what we're getting at is like show notes that are more elaborate than just a set of links where maybe there's a bit more prose to say we you know a capsule summary if you will an hour's worth of work as opposed to 12 That's not actually something I had considered before. That's an interesting question. I I think, yeah, I think that having something is better than having nothing. Um, I think, you know, obviously the ideal is still just full transcripts, but I think... Yeah, I would say I think having something is better than having nothing. I would say also I think it depends on the show um you know like for for maybe for this podcast for radio survivor or for always here i think something like that could be very useful as you know where it's just people discussing a topic or you know an educational podcast i think that could be very useful um i think if it was something like if i may reference another mcelroy podcast because that's what i've been listening to very frequently um i don't know how well that would work for something like my brother my brother and me where kind of the entire appeal of it is hearing these three guys talk and hearing their unique turns of phrases and the way that they interact with each other as host and brothers. I think that reading, I I think if it was like a partial transcript in the sense of being a full transcript for only part of the episode, I think that would still be 
that that would still be better than no transcript. I think if it was just more of a summary or liner notes that that might not be as interesting. You know, I don't necessarily want to read like a description of what yeah. they're talking about. Especially with the McElroy brothers. Yeah, which is yeah. basically, it's basically improvisational Quips. comedy. Exactly. They're right. talking over each other a lot, which I'm going to take the opportunity yes. to do on today's, because I'm trying so hard to contain myself and not talk <laughs> over Paul. Um, I, the thing that I am, that has come to mind uh, now during the process of us talking here on Radio Survivor about, um, about uh, putting in the work and having the intention to make your podcast and radio programming more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing, uh, mm-hmm. both by using uh, different kinds of audio hygiene, I'm going to call them. So <laughs> don't talk over each other. Really think about why you're mixing us uh, a background noise into the track and, and how much uh, less you could uh, stand to mix that piece of noise to, to yes. make sure it's accessible to everybody. I, I'm also... Uh, realizing now that it's just worthwhile to put the intention out there to your community uh, that mm-hmm. you need help. That yeah. here we have our show and uh, we we do our best. And is mm-hmm. anyone out there in our community available to, to help make podcast uh, transcriptions available? You could either go the fundraising route to pay a professional mm-hmm. or you can ask for volunteer work. Uh, to yeah. get it done. I know that there are lots of podcasts that have capable volunteers uh, doing those hours of work to make sure that these episodes are, are out there um, in written form. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I've, I've recently gotten into Critical Role, which is both, it's a podcast and also a video series where they, to my understanding, they record the video and post that first and then post just the audio file as a podcast. I'm guessing that Critical Role is a role-playing game. It podcast. is. It is a Dungeons and Dragons actual play role-playing podcast mm-hmm. by Geek and Sundry. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Very good. I've gotten into it recently. But one thing that has been really helpful for me is that there is a team of volunteer transcribers who will transcribe all of the episodes, which for reference are anywhere from three to five hours long so long episodes very labor intensive and then they will actually email the uh full transcription to the producer to geek and sundry and they put that into the youtube video so that it's accessible as subtitles and then the transcription is also available just as a transcript on the critical role transcription website that's great i'll also put in a plug again for doing that hard work i know that if you're working with um say an improvised comedy podcast comes to mind that uh, sitting down and taking those hours to 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 peel back the layers of all this uh, verbal fun and really figure out what words are being said um there's a lot of learning in there there's yes. a, there's a, so it's not it's not a needless toil by the time you get to the end of transcribing uh, somebody's work. And I'm imagining the same could be true for, for this uh, Geek and Sundry podcast, as well as um, informational podcasts. You know, uh, Things always uh, slip by you in the stream of words, and getting a chance to write stuff down uh, can, really, um, can really be noble work. Absolutely. And I would say it's actually... As someone who has been reading a lot of transcripts because I've been getting into more and more podcasts, I I am also a an aspiring author. I, I write short stories and I have a novel that I'm working on. And I think reading transcriptions has actually improved my dialogue a lot yep. because it forces you to think about how to, to see 
the way that people actually talk written down. It is um, really funny yes. how often incredibly intelligent people don't finish their sentences. That's my it favorite is, observation. Yeah. Uh, um, no one how, talks the way it's written. No, absolutely. And how, you know, when real people are talking, they'll get a couple words into a sentence and stop and start over and take it a different direction. Uh -huh. Or they'll say, um, a couple of times, or they'll start saying something and then they'll get interrupted and then they'll go back to that two minutes later. And it's, it's just really interesting to get to see that written down, get to see the, we, the way that people talk naturally in yeah. written form. Sometimes the word, um, is a needless word that can be erased. And sometimes the word um is a comma. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people use ums when they're listing things. And so that's, those are important ums. Sometimes people say um, and they're actually saying the word a or I. Yes. These are things I've learned from my work in radio. Yeah. And that's, Ums are really interesting to me, especially as someone who I do the audio editing for Always Here. And so that's been really interesting because it's been forcing me to think about what ums do I take away yep. because that was just us not knowing what to say and what ums do I leave in. Especially I've learned that um or something like saying like uh, it can be used as sort of a transition from one thought to another. And if you take that out, then it sounds yeah. like you're just switching gears too quickly. That's right. Yeah. My, I, I think I once got fired from a podcast editing job by a very, very rationally minded uh, client when I described that there are ums that are, that are, you can edit out, but there are some ums that are too, um, that are emotional ums. Yes, and absolutely. Like, emotional ums. I don't I don't work with people who use those kinds of words. But what I meant <laughs> was that there are people who use when they say um, that's actually them really processing something extremely heavy. There was an um that came after a statement about someone's recently deceased father. And like mm -hmm. there's an um that means that that means everything. A pick an um is worth a thousand words sometimes. Right. So, and I think I think um, it can also be very useful as sort of this, especially if you're recording remotely, it can be a really good indicator of I heard you and I'm going to respond, but I need a second to figure out what I'm going to say to that. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> you know, this is a, a wonderful, uh, I think, discussion really of, of the art of podcasting and audio. And I, I really relish this opportunity we've had to uh, get into it here with you, Miri, because I think what we've done is sort of illustrate how there's a lot of the art and the process. And there's all these things we, we hear, but we don't necessarily take into account that sometimes you take into account more or is more obvious when you see it written. And yes. there's these aspects of accessibility that we don't really think about and, and how thinking about it can help make us better podcasters can make us better radio producers as we sort of take into account more of, of the sort of the range of human expression, I think really is, is kind of what we've kind of where we've gone down the tangent we've taken here at radio survivor. But I think it's really worth taking into account as people who uh, want to produce audio that enjoy, uh, enjoy taking in audio or taking in audio in print. Cause I, it is a different thing. I just have to get on a soapbox for one more second and say mm -hmm. that something I've learned in my life working with people in the disabled community is that um, we all can use a little bit 
of uh, adaptive technology now and then at some mm-hmm. point in our lives. Either we break our ankles or, or we grow old or we have uh, hidden disabilities, even the fully abled. But it, when, when the work is being done to make accessibility uh, of all sorts, when, 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 you're, when, you, when you are doing work and you include accessibility in your, in your mind and then make sure that the things you do are more accessible to everybody, uh, mm-hmm. those, there, are, there are so many hidden benefits to taking the time to do that work. And so that's my plug uh, for making podcasts and radio more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. There, something good will come of that labor. Across yeah, the board. Absolutely. Miri Josephs, thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Survivor. It's been a, a delight to have you on. And we hope to be able to talk with you again in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thanks again to Miri Josephs for spending some time to talk to us about deaf and hearing accessibility in podcasting and in radio. And once again, uh, Miri's podcast is always here. It's the LGBT history podcast. You can find it at always here podcast, all one word.com. And of course we'll have uh, links to things we've talked about in our show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode 129. And of course, this is Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reesmendel. And uh, a point we didn't quite get to in accessibility, which maybe because it's kind of obvious in a way, is the fact that podcasting itself is a, is a form of making audio programming and radio in particular more accessible. And that's because radio is ephemeral. You put it out on the air and it's gone. But at a, at a community or college station or public station, if you're able to take your talk programming in particular and turn it into podcasts and put it into on-air archives, you instantaneously make that programming more accessible. Of course, you make it more accessible to people who are of no hearing disability, but also for people who have a hearing disability because of that fact that they can re-listen to it. They might have caught it on the air, and as, as Miri sort of talked about, uh, hearing something on the radio but needing maybe some somebody else listening who has better hearing than she to help fill in a blank or repeat something that that she wasn't able to quite catch. By being able to get it on demand, you can go back and re-listen and catch things you might have missed on the air, you might have missed altogether. And of course, furthermore, if you're able to create transcripts or uh, other supporting information to go along with that podcast or on-demand recording, you make it all the more accessible. And and what comes to mind to me is the community radio program, the national uh, news program, Democracy Now!, which is very good about posting transcripts of their show. Obviously, it's a national program carried on hundreds of stations as well as public access television uh, with a bit more resources than most community radio stations. But nevertheless, they've prioritized making their show more accessible to more people by having it out there in, in a transcription in addition to an audio program. And of course, that makes it easier to find things using a search engine. And also, there's the fact that sometimes audio is not the best way to consume content. 
And while we always want, I think, people to listen to our shows, sometimes taking things in as audio is not the most convenient or the easiest. Uh, There might be somebody working in an office environment, and it may be actually easier for them to read something or somebody who is on uh, public transportation without headphones or who's scrolling through their phone. It might be easier to read something than it is actually to listen to it. So there's there's a kind of uh, uh, many dimensions to making your content available in different forms and in different media platforms in addition to being available as audio. Of course, we, we'd love to know what you think about the subject. And if, if you've tried out transcribing a show or you've experimented with other ways of uh, making audio content available, I know one thing that uh, Current does, Current, which is the journal of public media, uh, they have a podcast called The Pub, and often they will publish feature interviews as articles. And so they're edited a bit more like a regular article might be. Uh, They're not strict transcripts of the program itself necessarily, but they're very, very close. But again, what it allows is someone to read the interview and lets people who might not otherwise ever hear it for any number of reasons, uh, some of which may be just simply because they don't listen to podcasts, if we can imagine that, or, um, to take in that content. So have you experimented with that? Uh, or is there a, a, a show you really like that makes itself accessible in certain ways that you think is particularly great and you'd like to share? We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line, podcast at radio survivor. And I'd like to let you know that uh, coming up in future episodes, uh, we'll be talking to the folks who helped put together a 50th anniversary museum exhibit for community station KBOO here in Portland, Oregon, also known as KBOO. It's a wonderful celebration when a community radio station makes it to 50. So we're going to learn more about that. Also, uh, looking a bit at community radio history, uh, we're going to talk about the KRAB archives, which are online. And it's an online archive of KRAB, which was a community radio station in Seattle, Washington from 1962 to 1984. Of course, with those letters, they call it CRAB. Um, we'll talk to the guy who behind it, who's been assembling great artifacts, recordings, and other ephemera about the station and posting it online at Crab Archives. Um, Chuck Reinch, and that's an interview that's also coming up. We like to pay attention, of course, to the contemporary scene of community media, as well as dig into the history which helps to inform how we got where we are and, of course, helps to maybe point a direction of where we're going. It's all the great celebration of community media that we do here at Radio Survivor. And Radio Survivor is available as a podcast and available as a radio program. And on the radio, we're heard on great stations like WCOM in Chapel Hill in Carborough, North Carolina, and WOOC in Troy, New York. And if there's a great community, college, low-power FM, non-commercial station out there that you think ought to air the program, please tell them about us. Or if you're at a station, we'd be glad for you to air the program. It's free to air for any non-commercial station. Find out more at radiosurvivor.com slash radio. And if you do listen as a podcast, or if you're listening on the radio, maybe sometimes can't catch the program on the air, you can get the podcast at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Please do subscribe 
You can use Stitcher. You can use Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can use Radio Public, just about any major podcast app out there so that you always get the program. And also, if you can spare a moment and rate it in your favorite app, drop us some stars or leave a review if that's possible. We really appreciate it because it helps other people find the program. These are all things you can do to help out Radio Survivor, which is pretty much a volunteer enterprise and it is a listener and reader supported enterprise you can learn more about how to support us at radiosurvivor.com slash support thank you very much for spending another hour of your time with us and a big thanks to my co-host and co-producer eric klein and we look forward to speaking with you next week <laughs>